Welcome to another day on the Fertility Podcast. Every day this week supporting this year 2015's National Fertility Awareness Week UK. I've been doing my best to put out an episode every day to help raise awareness of fertility issues. Now I've been covering a variety of bases from issues affecting funding. We've been hearing about stories. We've been having people tell their stories of their own fertility struggles, which is something on the Fertility Podcast that we really welcome you if you're happy to and you're you're willing to get in touch and and share your story. Now, one thing that not many of us do when we go through fertility treatment is reach out for support. Maybe we've got a friend that's been through it. Maybe we turn to our family. Often though, we don't turn to anybody. And Infertility Network UK have support groups all over the UK, which my next guest, Kate Bryan, is gonna talk more about the work she does. And then we're going to speak with Tracy Sainsbury, who's an IVF counsellor. So have a listen. So welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome back a guest from season one, Kate Bryan, who, if you listen to episode six of season one, Kate talked very openly about her fertility journey and her diagnosis of unexplained infertility and how that's led her on the path that she's on now. She's very involved in the fertility world and author. She sits on different committees. She's the editor of the Journal of Fertility Counselling. She's the London representative of Infertility Network UK and it's with Kate's Infertility Network hat on that we're going to be talking to her now. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Lovely to be back again. Well, I always like catching up with your blog because you're really good at covering topical issues and I'm going to put all the details to Kate's blog, which is Fertility Matters, on the show notes because there's all sorts of issues of relevance with regards to funding being cut and scaremongering that goes on in the press that Kate really kind of captures. So do go and have a look at that. I want to talk about the support groups that you're involved with with regards to Infertility Network UK, with it being National Fertility Awareness Week. So Kate, just talk a bit about the groups because they're nationwide and we're both most keen to get the message across that, that they're available for people that might not have even realised. They are available and they're completely free of charge, that's the other thing. I think one of the problems that we have with the support groups is I think no one ever really wants to think that they're the sort of person who needs to go to a support group and I always tell people the story of when I went to one for the first time and we drove hours across London through traffic jams and we got there and my husband and I were sitting outside this house and I just said to him, I'm really sorry, I can't go in, I'm not the sort of person who goes to a support group but you know I, I, this isn't for me we we'll have to go home again and he said i haven't driven for two hours across london in traffic he made you, go, you in. go home so we went in and do you know what i just couldn't believe how lovely it was to be in a room full of people who all understood what it was like to have a fertility problem because i think one of the things that's really difficult about it is that it's so isolating and you can feel so cut off from your friends and from your family and the really nice Thing, one of the best things about going to a group is just being with other people who will understand. And I think also people often think that groups are very miserable and, you know, imagine people sitting around crying and feeling depressed. And it's just not like that at all. They're often actually really quite cheerful places, surprisingly, because there's a great sense of relief in just knowing that other people have felt the same way about things. So give me an idea of if I was to come along. When I think you think of these group meetings, you might maybe have an idea of something you've seen in a movie that might be AA related or where someone has to stand up and say their name and say what their problem is but I doubt it's like that at all. No it's not like that at all. Someone I spoke to who was helping to run a group said that when she went along to her first one she kind of had visions of having to stand up and say hello I'm Kate and I'm infertile or whatever and it's really really not like that at all. I mean the groups are all very different so 
some of the groups that we have at Infertility Network UK that are run by um, our volunteers will just meet in a cafe for a cup of coffee. And so there might just be three or four or five people sitting around a table having a cup of coffee, just being able to talk openly about how they feel and getting together in that kind of way. Some of the groups are bigger and meet in kind of, you know, community centers or some of them meet in clinics. And those groups might sometimes have a speaker coming along to talk about something specific. But more than anything, they're just very friendly, very informal. And it's really about having a chat and being with other people more than anything else. So I don't think any of them are really very structured or very highly organized. They're, they're much more relaxed than that, much more laid back. Because also, if you're just relying, for example, on conversations online, whether it be Twitter, where there's a, an overwhelming um, number of people who, who share their experiences and, and support one another, but it is that kind of one-way thing. Obviously, you're having a dialogue, but you know, you're know you just sat in front of your computer, whereas I, I suppose if you're sat in front of somebody else going through what you're going through, looking at their face, hearing their voice, it's so much more just significant and from an emotional point of view going to be so much more beneficial it is i mean i really think people notice that you know when people come along to a group they tend to be quite surprised at how helpful they found it and i think it's one thing talking to people online but you don't ever really know who you're talking to you don't know who they are you know you can get a sort of sense of someone i suppose from emailing them or from talking to them online but it's never really quite the same as actually meeting a real person and a lot of the things that people who come along to groups um, that I find is that they tend to get in touch with one another afterwards and they tend to meet in between groups and, you know, just a couple of them or three or four of them might meet up. And I think that's a really, really nice thing, actually having a, a real person as a friend rather than just someone invisible who you might talk to at the other end of a computer. And although that's very helpful and can be very helpful, it's not quite the same as knowing a real person, as meeting a real person. And do you know of people that once they've had successful treatment have carried on those relationships? A lot of people do. A lot of people do. I mean, you know, a lot of them, when they get pregnant, will meet up with one of the other people from the group who's also had a successful journey. So, yes, people definitely do keep in touch afterwards. You know, people make lifelong friends from these groups. Yeah. But I think it's, it's a very nice thing for people to be able to actually have genuine friends that they can get to know, who they can share their journeys with, who they can share experiences with, people who understand exactly where they're coming from, people who understand that awful feeling when someone else tells you that, you know, a friend or colleague that they're pregnant, people who understand how it can be when perhaps your family don't entirely understand what you're going through and can say really tactless things, people who know it, how difficult it can be in the run-up to Christmas, you know, all of those kinds of things, just to actually be able to meet someone who really understands that can be such a lifeline I think and people don't always appreciate that. Now there's all sorts of different groups happening at various times across the UK and all the details are on the Infertility Network website which again we'll put the details on the show notes and I know there's a London event coming up um, just tell me a bit about the speaker that you're going to have there. Yeah we've got which is not actually speaking on the 12th of November at the Central London group which meets in Vauxhall we've got um, a scientist who works in the clinic one of the clinics coming along just to answer some of the questions questions that people have and to talk to them about some of these things that they might want to know about what happens in the lab, how embryos develop, those kind of things. And I think that quite a few of the groups do have speakers on a regular basis. And if you look on the events, uh, the listing of the support groups on the Infertility Network UK website, you can find when groups are going to have speakers. And some of them actually always have a speaker. So it can be another really useful way of 
actually meeting up with someone who's an expert in whatever it might be, who you can ask questions in a very informal setting, in a way that you possibly wouldn't feel you could do in your own clinic. So that can be really, really helpful, and lots of the groups have that now. They will have speakers now and then, the bigger groups. We distinguish on the website between the different groups, because some of the groups are Infertility Network UK groups, which are peer-led groups run by someone who has a fertility problem themselves and just wants to run a group to help other people. Then there are some groups which are run by the clinics and they may be run by a counsellor or by another member of staff at the clinic, although they're usually open to everyone, not just people having treatment at that specific clinic. And then there are a few groups which we also list which are run by people who might have some other professional interest in the field. So they might be an acupuncturist or something like that who wants to run a fertility support group. And they're listed separately so that people are aware that they, they do actually have some kind of business-related interest and not just our volunteers. So you can see on the website clear, um, clearly laid out which groups are which so you know exactly what you're going along to. All right. Well, we'll make sure that um, that link is on the show notes. And, and you're also talking at the fertility show at the end of the week? Yeah, I am, um, which I'm always really excited about. It's always such an amazing thing, the fertility show, with so many people. I always think there's something quite empowering about being in a room with so many people who all understand what it's like to have a fertility problem. And I'm speaking this year about um, how to choose a fertility clinic on the Saturday, but there are just some really amazing speakers over the two days. And I think it really is just an incredible opportunity to be able to access so many of the experts in the field under one roof in two days. So it's, it's worth it for that alone. What about if the idea of it to someone or a couple who have just found out that they are going to have to go down the fertility treatment route they've heard about the show, what would you say if they just think it's just too much, too overwhelming? I think you need to know what you're going to. If you imagine a kind of ideal home exhibition for fertility, that is a bit what it's like. You know, it can feel a bit overwhelming when you first walk in and there are so many different clinics and so many different experts and so many things to look at. I think what it's really important to do is to be clear when you are going about what you're going for and what you went to get out of it. So you can see a list of the exhibitors and you can see a list of all of the seminars. And if you look through them and think, well, I'd like to hear this speaker and this speaker, and make, make a plan for your day. You know, I'd also perhaps be interested in visiting the Infertility Network UK stand or the HFEA stand or something like that. If you know what you're going and are aiming for, then I think it's really, really useful. I think if you're just kind of wandering around vaguely, it can probably be slightly overwhelming because there is so much there and so much to take in and so many different people all wanting to tell you about how they might be able to help you. So I can understand that it can feel quite a lot to take in, which is why I think it's always quite sensible to work out what you want to get out of it before you get there. Brilliant advice. Kate, thank you. As always, lovely to catch up. Great to catch up with you too. And we'll put all your details of your blog and of the Fertility Show site and the Infertility Network UK website all on the show notes for people to uh, to find out how they can follow and, and, and go to one of the support groups. And good luck with the next support group as well. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. We're going to speak now to uh, a lady called Tracy Sainsbury, who if you're going to the fertility show this weekend, you will get a chance to hear Tracy speak. She works for the London Women's Clinic and the Bridge Centre as an IVF counsellor. I'm just keen to talk more about how she works. Tracy, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Lovely to be here. Thank you for being here. It's taken us a bit of toing and froing. You're very busy and hard to pin down. <laughs> Apologies for that. No, don't worry. It's absolutely fine. I was interested in just knowing how you work with 
clients, at what point? Is it as soon as somebody's found out they need treatment or is it once the treatment started with regards to the IVF counselling that you do? Um, it varies. The clinics that I work with both really value counselling and have a counselling appointment actually available to everybody as part of the initial consultation. So it's not just part of the treatment itself, it's actually an implications counselling session to explore the implications of treatment, um, how it will affect you, your relationships, any um, other children that you have, wider family and friends as well. Not just thinking about during treatments itself, but beyond treatment and into the future. We, we, we want to future-proof a bit. How many, from a presenter's point of view, of the people that you think you work with take you up on that? Um, well, it, it's pretty routine for anybody who's using donor conception or freezing egg. Counseling is mandatory for anybody who's experienced pregnancy loss just because we know that going through the treatment can almost re-traumatise previous pregnancy-relating losses. So it's a pretty high percentage to the point that we've grown the team. So we've got three of us now. When I, when I started four years ago, there was just me. Um, but there's now a team of three of us just in London and two others um, in our clinics outside London. So we have six-day-a-week coverage for counselling, which is fantastic. Because from the conversations that I've had here on the Fertility Podcast uh, with people that have been on their fertility journey and have happily and, and gratefully, from my point of view, shared their journey, often we've talked about that offer of counselling being there or not um, and the want for it to be there. So I know it's not standard across clinics for, for what you said of that kind of initial conversation. I know from my own experience there was counselling offered, um, which we didn't actually take up because I think both my husband and I were like, we don't need it. Um, yeah. In hindsight, you know, from the conversations I've had, I'm sure it would have been extremely beneficial. But I'm just interested as to whether you think that should be a kind of standard as much as we can reg regulate the different clinics uh, across the UK, that, that offering at, at that initial meeting. The HFEA as part of the Human Fertility and Embryology Act, say that counselling has to be available. Right. And lots of people assume that they don't need counselling. We're coping really well, we don't need it. The way I work, I've got a bereavement counselling background and I'm also an adoptive mum and foster carer. So my way of looking at um, providing fertility counselling is to see that actually just going into a clinic often validates a loss of fantasy around how you'd hope to conceive. Um, you know, many of us hope to conceive romantically with our soulmate, um, but for a lot of us, it would be great just to conceive through even rubbish sex with the right person. Um, our single ladies and lesbian couples and, and our gay dads are often all too hard on themselves during treatment. It's not just heterosexual couples. For anybody who's tried to prepare for treatment, it can be a shock at times when it does feel a bit overwhelming. Yeah. So we look at um, understanding, educating a bit about the conflicts between conscious and unconscious um, changes that take place just when we start to think about our fertility. So we hope it would be available for everybody whenever they need it and that actually it sets them up not just for the treatment itself but for going on into parenthood too. How many men do you get to speak to would you say? Or an awful lot more because I work with it than many counsellors because I work with the London Sperm Bank as well. So I see an awful lot of donors um, and egg donors from the London Egg Bank. Um, men on their own 
who are having treatment, not too many, but men in heterosexual couples who might then, having been to a joint session, especially if they're using egg donation, um, might come back on their own for one or two more sessions. Quite, quite a few, a growing in number. That's why one of the counsellors that we've taken on is a man. So we, we've um, incre increased our counsellors and have recruited a, a male counsellor just because we think that actually some of our male clients might prefer to see a male counsellor. I mean, this is probably a stab in the dark, but could you say whether that's due to there being more of a spotlight kind of year on year to male infertility and that men are maybe feeling a little bit more comfortable openly going and talking about it? I think there's an awful lot of protective men who want to get it right for their female partners who also want to get it right for the children and because we don't have a shortage of um, egg, eggs for egg donation at the clinic that I work at or a shortage of sperm for sperm donation there's an awful lot of people who've thought about and began to talk about donor conception think they're on the same page and then in their initial counselling session which I mentioned is routine if you're using donor conception as soon as we've moved things forward to thinking about um, promoting a well-rounded individual born through donor conception and thinking about the child rather than the couple it can be a bit of a shock when we talk about openness and transparency so it's kind of actually I want to make sure I've kicked this around in my head for long enough to make sure that I'm actually comfortable parenting that child because the treatment might work. Yeah. So I think it's the educational aspect of implications counselling that promotes more men coming forward because it is a learning opportunity. They want to get it right and they want their relationships to work. It's reassuring to hear you know, that there is that involvement because sometimes there's the feeling that the men just are kind of stood by, just kind of going through the motions almost. Well, um, we look at hedgehogs. I use hedgehogs a lot in my work because men try really hard to support their female partners. And if you think of hedgehogs, if you think of anybody in a relationship as, as being like a pair of hedgehogs, when they're not thinking about making babies, they're walking through life, they've got a solid foundation under their feet, they want to be together. If there's an obstacle or a diversion, they navigate it successfully and nobody gets hurt. When you're hoping to conceive, however you're hoping to conceive, you put yourself on potential parenthood beach and it's a bit wobbly underfoot because it's pretty soft sand. Your foundation's gone because we don't have control. And you often invite a whole full of a clinic full of people and sometimes a donor too in an intimate part of your being and it messes with your head. And when you're feeling unbalanced underfoot and wobbly in your head, what hedgehogs tend to do is curl up in a ball. And because people are in a good relationship, the other little hedgehog comes over, puts their arm around them and says, come on, open up to me, I'm here for you. And they just get their vulnerable bits prickled because the person who's curled up can't, isn't aware that they're there often, certainly not feeling understood or listened to. So we always say, don't try too hard. Yeah. Stand back, shout really loud, I'm here with a hug when you want one. And as soon as they're ready to open up, you're there for them because it's sod's law. Whatever you try to say to support your partner when you're going through fertility treatment, it will be wrong. You know, if you're down and your partner's saying, come on, be positive, yeah. you feel like you're failing in being positive. 
if you have a moment when you hire a car and they say, let's not get carried away, let's wait and see what happens, it's like they've taken all the positivity away and they're bringing you crashing down. It can feel abusive. So that just being available takes yeah. that pressure off. Because it's such a roller coaster, which we've had many people, when they've told their story on the podcast, talk about just dealing with the different periods, whether it's the weight, whether it's the going through the motions with the injections, all of it, and then, like you yeah. say, that the outcome, you know, what if, you know, you do get the outcome that you want so much and dealing with it. So brilliant to hear you talking through how you work with people. And we've also spoken with Kate Bryan, who I know you've worked with for Infertility Network UK, about the support groups as well as the one-to-one counselling. I'm assuming that the work you do is predominantly one-to-one, is that right? Yes, yeah, support groups are so important because just getting support from others who've been through it can, as much as anything else, validate that it's okay to feel how you're feeling. Tracy, it's been great talking to you. All really right. Good I'm going to put links to the Bridge Clinic, the London's Women's Clinic, on the show notes as well. Fantastic. Thanks so um, much. What day are you speaking at the fertility show? Both. Both my talks are on Saturday. Okay. All right. Well, anybody going to the fertility show, make sure you go and hear Tracy speak. And thank you again for your time. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Kate and Tracy, both going to be at the fertility show, as I mentioned in the podcast. Do make sure you get your hands on the show notes if you want to just follow any of the people that I've been speaking to, click on any of the links that I've mentioned. So you need to go to thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash season two ep eight. All right. And again, you can download this podcast via thefertilitypodcast.com. Stitcher, iTunes and Spreaker are all platforms that we're on. Or you can do it from the website directly. You can leave me reviews too. And I don't go on about this too much, but it's so cool if you show your support with a review, especially in iTunes. If you can just rate and review this podcast, then it spreads the word, which I'm really keen obviously to do. Now tomorrow we are checking in with a guest who I spoke to in season one in episode seven, Dr. Alan Pacey, who's now a professor. He focuses on male infertility, which is a massive issue. And there's been surveys out for National Fertility Awareness Week. Nuffield Health in particular spoke to 2,000 men about their fertility. And I'm going to be talking with Alan tomorrow about what he made of their results, amongst other things. So until tomorrow, 